Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hashtag Clocked In with me, your host, Jordan Edwards. I'm thrilled to have you tune in as we dive into the dynamic world of productivity, success, and stories of incredible individuals who've mastered the art of getting things done. Whether you're commuting, hitting the gym, or just relaxing at home, this podcast is the go-to source for inspiration and actionable tips to level up your productivity game. I'm on a mission to unravel the secrets of those who seem to effortlessly manage their time and achieve their goals. So if you're ready to clock in and unlock your full potential, you're in the right place. We've got a lineup of amazing guests, industry experts, and thought leaders who will share their insights and strategies to help us crush your to-do list and make the most out of every moment. Get ready to get inspired, motivated, and equipped with the tools you need to supercharge your productivity. This is Hashtag Clocked In with Jordan Edwards. Let's dive in. Hey, what's going on? I got a special guest today here. His name is Brian Will. He's an industry expert in sales and management consulting, and he's a best-selling author of the Wall Street Journal and USA Today's best-selling book, The Dropout Multimillionaire. Over the last 35 years as a serial entrepreneur, Brian has created seven very successful companies in four different industries, companies with a combined worth of over half a billion dollars at their peak. Brian, how are you doing today? What's going on, Jordan? Thanks for having me today. This is, this is going to be pretty cool. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. You have a fantastic background. <laughs> Where I, get bo- I get bored easy. So, you know, I keep changing industries and reinventing myself. That's my secret. Yeah. So I'm excited to hop into your story because there's a lot of people who you'll find sit there and will go, I've been in this industry for 25 years and they always basically hitch their saddle to that. And that allows them to be successful just based on their quote unquote experience. But for you jumping different industries and being successful in the different ones, I'm excited to hear about it. So where did your journey start? Yeah, this is an issue with my ADHD, to be very honest with you. If you if you know the difference between ADD and ADHD, ADHD is, you know, hyper focused on everything that's going on around you as a you can't focus on one thing, which honestly has helped me in business because it allows me to run multiple businesses at the same time, as long as I stay at the 30,000 foot level and have a lot of good people working for me. But yeah, my uh, my ADHD is both a, a blessing and a curse. But uh <laughs> You asked me how I got started in business. Okay, so here's the deal. I have this one of us is stupid moment stories, right? So here I am, I'm 21 years old. I'm struggling. I can't, I'm struggling to hold a job. I keep getting fired. There's a big story behind this with how I grew up and failed out of high school my junior year. And um, I go to work for this landscaper and I'm mowing grass, $4 an hour working in a truck with two other dudes. And I remember I go to work for these guys. And after the first week, I, I take this little notebook in our front seat and I'm looking at it and there's 30 accounts we mowed that week. And each one we collected about 25 to $30. It was a couple thousand dollars we collected. And we get a check every single time we mow their yarn. And at the end of every day, we drive back to the owner's house and we drop off all this money. <laughs> right. And I remember sitting in the truck that day and thinking, we build $2,000. I mean, I made 160. The dude beside me made 200. A dude beside him made 250. Throw in some gas and whatnot. The dude sitting at home waiting for us to bring him the check made $1,000 at home while I'm out here busting my ass making $160. One of us is stupid. <laughs> I know which one it is. So that was my first one of us is stupid moments. And I was like, anybody can mow grass. I mean, how hard is that? You don't even... 
Yeah. I failed out of high school. I know how to mow grass. So yeah. sure enough, I went and bought a lawnmower and a weed eater and a blower, and I was in business the next week. That was really? the launch of my business career. I love had, how fast. Had no idea what I was doing. Didn't matter. I remember one lady called me and she said, hey, can you plant some bushes in my yard? I said, absolutely, I can do that. And I called my buddy. I said, how do you plant bushes? Yeah. He's like, you don't know how to plant bushes? I said, I've never planted a bush in my life. I'll give you half the job if you'll come show me. Yeah. And so that's how I did my first installation job. And that's the way to do it. And there's so many people that are so scared of the failure. But in reality, it's just showing up and being there and just saying yes to the opportunities that come your way. You just but do also, it. Absolutely. So you mentioned that you failed out of high school. What, what happened correct. there? So I grew up, uh, my background is a little rough. I grew up in an abusive home. Uh, I was what we called a latchkey kid back in the 70s and 80s. And uh, my parents weren't there when I woke up. They weren't there when I got home from school. And so by my junior year, I was angry uh, and I just didn't care anymore. I was thinking of dropping out of school anyway. So I just stopped showing up. I missed 42 out of the first 90 days of school and then skipped the midterms, right? Back then, we didn't have computers. So nobody really knew other than random teachers here and there. But after I skipped the midterms, they turned me in. The principal calls me and he says, yeah, I'm sorry. You're out of here. Yeah. So- this was my first sales job. I said, look, I can't get kicked out of school because I'm on the track team and I'm on the band. And these are my two favorite things. So I'll make you a deal. This is a Friday. I'll make you a deal. You let me take the midterms on Monday. If I get a B, you give me a D. If I get anything less than a B, I'll leave. He was a pretty cool guy. He's like, hey, man, I got nothing to lose. You ain't going to do it anyway. Knock yourself out. Monday, I got all B's and I stayed in school and finished and graduated with a 1.2 grade point average. Oh, that's, my. by the way, a, that's a D minus, by the way. Yeah. I can show you my report card. There are more F's and U's for unsatisfactory than there are anything else on my grade card. It's crazy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I was but just it, an angry young man. But when that was happening at that time, was school very like pushed as it is today? Oh, like my today? gosh, no. Yeah. The eight, the the eighties, the seventies and eighties were just a different, <clears throat> just a different thing. I, the, the the real story, the reason I didn't get kicked out is because the lady who was the school administrator, we only had one, was a very small school, like kindergarten through twelve in the same building, right? Eighty kids in my class. The girl, the lady who was the school administrator, her daughter was madly in love with me, and so she just looked the other way until the principal figured it out. That's really the truth of how I stayed in school that long. Oh my goodness. That's incredible. <laughs> so, so college wasn't in the, in the cards for you. So I got kicked out of my house at 18. I had no place to go. Uh, I got hoodwinked by a military recruiter and ended up in the air force. Really? Uh, it's one of the chapters in my book is I got hustled. Uh, and this air force recruiter used a classic takeaway clothes in the sales, you know, and get me to join the military. So I did. So I did a year on active duty, got off active duty, and that's when everything started. And I struggled to hold jobs. And uh, that's when I ended up starting the landscaping business. Absolutely. What did you think of the Air Force? Was that something that you were passionate about or it was just? Uh, no. In fact, my first day, they ship you off to basic training and you know you get on this bus and you drive out to the Air Force base and Everything's cool on the bus, man. You think this is going to be awesome. The guys are friendly and nice. And man, as soon as that bus door opens, there are people screaming at you. And it's like, get off the bus, get off the bus. 
And some joker puts his, this is called the pick them up, put them up drill in the military. You look at any guy, talk to any guys that were in the military back in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Somebody puts their bag down. Did I tell you to put your bag down? Pick your bag up. And then for 10 minutes, pick them up, put them down, pick them up, put them down, pick them up, put them down. Now, from now on, you don't do anything unless I tell you. You're like, oh my God, what happened to skipping class? And they cut all your hair off and four o'clock the next morning, they're banging on trash cans, picking your bed up and slamming it on the ground. And I remember waking up that next morning and I thought, I have made a horrible, horrible mistake. (laughs) (laughs) I do not belong here, but you're stuck. So there you are. Yeah, you got to push through. You got to push through. <laughs> so you start the landscaping business. How did that grow for you? How did what did that end up being? Where did you where did you take that? I weirdly enough started it and it started to work and I hired people that knew what they were doing because I didn't. After about 7 years or so, I had built up a nice little business and a guy comes to me and says, "Why don't you franchise it?" And I said, what are you talking about? I don't know anything about franchising. And he goes, well, I do. I'll, I'll do all the documents. I'll set everything up. So weirdly enough, I started my own franchise company. We built it up to seven franchises. And then my whole world collapsed on me and I lost everything when I was 29 in 2006, I think. So that wow. was a business that went up, but I learned a lot of lessons. You know, One of the principles of my book is you fail, you learn, you fail, you learn, you fail, you learn, you succeed. What was uh what was one of the big principles that like basically what caused that to drop? So one of the very one of the big uh, things I learned never put all your eggs in one basket seems like a cliche but eighty to eighty five percent of our business was with one developer and when that oh. developer brought in a new vice president of construction they fired me and brought their son in law in to run the the the, the landscaping the land- portion. I lost $2 million worth of business. Then they didn't pay me and I had creditors out there and I, it was just turned into a giant mess. So wow. everything collapsed. I had to sell and my house, my rental, my cars. I sold everything I owned to get out of debt. And I ended up with $5,000 left with my wife and new baby. And that was all I had. Oh, and a truck. I had a truck and a, and a shovel. And I started from scratch again. It sucked. Don't get wow. in over your head. Don't get in debt. I was in debt up to my eyeballs. I couldn't miss a check when, or I'm just toast. And that's what happened. When, you, when you're saying you're in debt, what do you mean by that? Just because there's a lot of people who they have this inclination where it's, oh, buy real estate. It's it's good debt. It's all of this. And is mm-hmm. that what you're saying? Or is it more along the lines or like, there's no, so, like, in my, in my case, Look, I'm making a hundred grand at the time. I thought I was rich. I had a house with a house payment. I had three cars with three car payments. I had a motorcycle with a motorcycle payment. My credit cards were racked up. Every dollar I made went to pay my credit cards, my house, and my cars. And gotcha. so when the business, when the when the contractor fired me and we lost that income, I couldn't make those payments anymore. You can't make the payments, you know, gotta go. So you sell everything and you look. It was so bad, Jordan. My mother came to my house. And I had sold my furniture because I needed money to feed my kid. And she came to the house and she's like, where's your furniture? And I said, I sold it. I got to buy food. And she's like, oh my God, this is horrible. So she goes out that day and buys furniture, has it delivered. She goes back to Tennessee. And the next day I sold that furniture. (laughs) I'm like, I don't need furniture. I need money. Yeah, (laughs) That's how bad it got. Wow. I, and 
this sounds like it's more of a, there's two components to it. It's putting your eggs in one basket with one client. And then the second thing is what a lot of people, I think anyone listening to can take away is the personal finance. Yes. In regard to just being in control of debt, like you make more, you spend less. (laughs) I'll tell you a quick story. So one of my customers at the time was uh, a guy named Terry Pendleton, who was a third baseman for the Atlanta Braves. He'd just come in from St. Louis. Um, and I landscaped his house and I did the maintenance on his yard. And I remember him telling me one day, he said, listen, Brian, I don't invest my money. My money is in T-bills. My money is sitting in the bank. I know where it's at. I'm never going to get hurt. I pay cash for my house. I pay cash for my cars. I know I can live the rest of my life on what I got. I don't take unnecessary risks. He said, there are so many athletes out there who become a millionaire and then think they're going to be a billionaire. And so they spend everything they've got. And that's why they all end up going broke. And I'll tell you a quick story. The next company that I started when I sold it, I sold it for a million dollars two years after I lost everything. And I went down to the bank to pay my house off. And the guy in the bank said, no, no, you don't need to pay your house off. You need to invest your money in the stock market. It's 1990. One and the stock market is going crazy. The dot com boom, you know, napkin.com just raised a billion seven. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, you don't understand. My friend Terry told me to create what we call your McDonald's safety net. That means no matter what happens, you could still work at McDonald's and maintain your lifestyle. Oh, I, like I said, that. so I'm going to pay my house off. I argued with the guy for 20 minutes, finally paid the house off. And the cars, and 90 days later, the stock market crashed when the dot com bubble burst and dropped 90%. I would have lost everything if I had done what he told me to do. Instead, I got out of debt. Which, what a lot of people don't realize is that when you take that approach of living below your means, paying off the car, paying off the house, you don't, your ability to save goes up exponentially because there's nothing pulling at your, your money. Yes. Because you don't become desperate in the decisions you make. So my theory on money, this is my personal theory. Absolutely. I don't buy it. I will, I will take debt on as long as I have enough money in the bank to cover it in case something happens. Oh, so like if you were to buy a place. You I buy would... a $50,000 car, I better have 50,000 cash in the bank. So, you know, if the worst comes and everything falls apart, I could pay the car off if I needed to. Wow. I like that approach a lot. Now you it's have to have a little money to do that. Of course, it takes time. <laughs> that's, not yes. a, that's not a completely new, uh, that's a, that you got to get burned once, or you could take that lesson and not get burned and apply that policy, which is delayed gratification. I mean, that's not bad. I have a mortgage on the house I live in, but none of the rental properties I own. But the mortgage yeah. on my house is 2.1%. It doesn't even make sense to pay that off anymore. <laughs> you know, why would I pay off a 2% loan? That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a very interesting space. So do you think that impact that must have impacted your life pretty drastically and caused you to change a lot of decisions you made? I am scared to death to go back to having nothing. <laughs> so I will never risk my assets. I will only risk my income. This is one of my philosophies in business and investing. If I make a million dollars this year, I'm willing to throw a million dollars out there and invest it, but I'm not willing to take money out of savings sell my assets or mortgage my future. So pretty much the way you live is 
on a year-to-year basis, but everything you've acquired above that, whether you invest it, you don't touch it again. That's if you correct. do this, you don't touch it again. So you, it's like that money's gone, and then it's the next year where you got to earn again, but you can spend that money. But everything invested, I've and I've heard this philosophy before, where you envision it as completely separate. Like if you put money into a savings account, don't touch that savings account. That's yep. I have 18 rental properties that pay me right at $300,000 a year net. I know right today, if I stopped all, everything else I did and did nothing else, I know I can make $300,000 a year. And because it's in rental properties, it's almost tax-free. It's basically tax-free. Which is more like half a million dollars. <laughs> Which is more like half a million. And the value of that thing will continue to go up. So that's a huge safety net. So when did you start jumping into the the rental space? Was that... Uh, always a strategy you thought about? No, this has only been in the last couple of years. I started, um, if I knew today, if I knew back then what I know today, I'd have bought a rental property every year. And today I would own 40 of them instead of 18. And it would be worth bazillions of dollars. Rental properties are just amazing in the amount of money you can make, the tax-free advantages, the fact that you can roll them and never pay taxes on it until after you die. And even then you don't pay capital gains. I mean, real estate's just an amazing thing. I didn't know. I know now. Absolutely. So if you were investing um, like in that experience with real estate, are you only in your, your hometown? Is it wide ranging? Like how, how do you no. think different deals? I've got property. I got properties here in Alpharetta, Georgia, where I live. I've also got properties down in Florida where you live Yeah, in Tampa, He's- West Chase and Clearwater Beach. Yeah. You got some in the uh, same complex as me. Exactly. Pretty- I own a couple of your neighbors. <laughs> That's why I knew I was making a good decision. <laughs> but it's it's interesting when you go about these different uh, investment properties because some people will sit there like you can go to the Midwest where you can get it for a hundred thousand dollars in Florida mm-hmm. it might be like three hundred thousand dollars. How how do you think about that and especially this this market that we're in right now? It's a yeah I do it where I live because okay. I want to be I want to be close to my assets, you know. I've got family in Tampa, I have a place in Tampa, I live here, so I do it where I live. I want to know that me or one of my relatives can drive over and look at it, make sure it's still there and hadn't been burned down. So I know there are people that invest all over the country that I just I would not feel comfortable doing that. Okay, so you always keep a close eye on it. Yeah, there's enough properties where you live to do anything you've ever wanted to do. Are you saying that just because I'm in Florida or are you just saying anyone? I'm saying anybody that wants to invest. I mean, how many homes are around us? Look at, look, it's called Acres of Diamonds. There's an old book called Acres of Diamonds, one of my favorite books. And it's about a story about a guy who travels all over the world trying to find wealth. And, and, and at the end of, on his dying day, you know, they bury him in the backyard and they're digging his grave and they find a giant vein of diamonds sitting in the guy's backyard. I'm paraphrasing. That's not exactly what happens, but the deal is acres of diamonds are sitting in your backyard. You don't need to travel the world to find it. Yeah. No, that's a really cool philosophy because everyone thinks they have to run to the next location. I mean, sometimes you do have to be in America mm-hmm. yeah. for that opportunity, but there's a lot of opportunity, especially how remote the world's getting. There's abundance in a lot of places. Have you ever been to Antelope Canyon out in uh, Arizona? No. It's an Indian reservation, Antelope Canyon. You've seen the pictures of these unbelievable formations of rocks and whatnot. I put a post on social media the other day because we were just out there and took a picture of it. And I said, you know, here's the thing. 
the owner of this land took a hole in his backyard and turned it into a $10 million a year business, walking people through it just to look at it, right? A hole in his backyard. And you're out there trying to reinvent the wheel. This dude did it with a hole. So acres of diamonds, there's, there's opportunity everywhere. Yeah. And that, that kind of reminds me of what we were talking about in the beginning of this podcast. Before we started, me and Brian were just kind of catching up again. And we were talking about how there are some assets that you have that you don't even realize that the world will pay you for. Yep. <laughs> Which is, you, uh, you know, you know, the definition of luck, right? When opportunity meets preparedness. Yeah. All you do is prepare yourself and you wait for the opportunity to knock on your door, send you an email, whatever. And then opportunity means preparedness. And that's how you get lucky. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what was that second business that you made after the landscaping? Like, how did you get out of that experience? So my buddy, I, I was so broke at the time, I had, couldn't afford my health insurance payments. Oh, and my wow. daughter got diagnosed with ASD, atrial septal defect, which was a hole in her heart. And so suddenly I have to have health insurance to pay for open heart surgery for my three-year-old. And I'm freaking out because I skipped my $112 insurance payment. And now I've got an open heart surgery bill coming. And so he comes out to visit me and he's selling health insurance. And he shows me this policy and he says, you know, maybe you should sell health insurance. I'm like, so if I sell health insurance, do I get the commission off the policy I pay that I just bought for myself? And he said, yeah. I'm like, all right, I'll do that. So I go and get an insurance license. And then he says, why don't you come out and sell insurance with me? And I said, I don't really want to sell insurance. I've tried to sell used cars. I did Amway. I don't want to be an insurance salesman too. I, it just doesn't sound like me. He's like, look how much money I'm making. He starts showing me these checks. And I was like, holy crap. So I said, all right, I want to sell insurance. How do I do this? So he takes me out on one appointment. I see him sell a policy to this lady. He comes out, he made 500 bucks. And I was like, all right, I'll do this. So how do I do it? He says, give me $500. I'll give you some leads. I give him a check. He gives me leads, 12, 20 leads. At the end of the week, I had sold 12 policies. And so I went into this office and I, I dropped these 12 policies on the desk. And the guy that owns this agency goes, how many policies is that? I said, it's 12. He goes, how many leads did you get? I said, 20. He goes, oh my God. I said, is that bad? He goes, no, that's good. That's like top 1% in the country. Let's go to lunch. And who knew I could sell? Yeah. I was a landscaper, but apparently I could sell. And within six weeks, I was, I was producing 50% of the revenue in a 15-man office. And that's when I decided to quit working for him and start my own agency. Wow. So I did. And a year and a half later, I sold it to a venture capital firm for a million dollars. And that's wow. kind of how we got launched into the next reinvention of Brian Will. That's Who incredible. Knew? I had an asset like we just talked about. I had no clue I knew how to sell. And yet I was pretty damn good at it. Yeah. And you could have been broken down from the landscaping experience because there are so many people that you get into a desperate space and you don't even realize what you have. I remember thinking, I hate every single day of landscaping, but I got no education. I have no skill set. There's nothing else for me. This is my future. I'm just a hole digger and a grass mower. That, I swear to God, I thought that all that's. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, well, shit, I can sell. Yeah. So, boom. That's and how that, I sold that company. And you were 29 at this point. 
Uh, yeah, that was 2006, I believe. Uh, we were I, advertising I, on the Rush Limbaugh show. Rest I'm in peace, saying, Rush. <laughs> I'm just saying it, you're 29 and you had no idea about the skill. None. Like that, And that's the biggest thing is that everyone's like, oh, you got to be in your career. Or you got to be in this moment or you got to be in this place. No. And like, no one knows where they're going to be. <laughs> no. And then fast forward the story a couple of years later, I meet a guy. I won't get into that whole story, but we start an internet marketing company. I know nothing about internet marketing. So this is 2000 and this is 2003. So this is again, seven years later, I'm in my mid thirties. I meet Steve, who's one of my mentors and we start this internet company and uh, quick story. We, he invests $400,000 in the business, but we both owe the money back. Right. So he takes equity in my insurance company. I take equity in his startup. Nine months later, we've lost 400 grand. And he comes in my office and he says, we need to invest more money. And I'm like, Steve, the CPA was in my office an hour ago. He said, you've lost 400 grand. This thing is dead in the water. You're bankrupting me. I can't afford this. I got no money. Now, mind you, my friend Steve's a multimillionaire. He's already done this before. And I'm just a little insurance guy still. And he said, I remember him sitting across the desk from me. He looks at me, he says, Brian, here's the deal. I'll give you your equity back in your company. You give me my equity back. We'll walk away as friends, no hard feelings. That's an offer I'm going to make to you, but I need to know right now. Wow. And I'm sitting there looking at this guy and I'm 500,000 in debt. And there's a ping pong ball in your head. You know, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. And, and, And this was a, this was a, number one lesson in my life. And if anybody ever takes anything from me, this is a lesson. Sometimes you have to trust other people's instincts and knowledge over your own. You got to get your ego out of the way. And I remember thinking, all right, I'm sitting here looking at a guy who's probably worth 20 million and I'm worth like $12. (laughs) Uh, I said, okay, Steve, I'm in. And he goes, all right, I don't ever want to hear that again. And the next month, we hit it with one of our offers online. We did $6 million that year, $30 million the next year, and sold the company 18 months after that conversation. We sold it for $60 million. Wow. Now, can you imagine? I, it scares me today. As I sit here and think about that, it scares me what my life would be like if I had said no in that moment. If I had trusted myself as opposed to somebody who was been had been there and done that before. If I had trusted me, I, I wouldn't have what I have today. There's just just no way. So I learned to trust other people that that are smarter and know what they're doing and have been there and done that. And this is where we talk about coaches and mentors, bringing somebody else in. This is what my book is all about. Um, sometimes you got to trust other people because your your instincts might be wrong. Yeah, I have a tattoo that says I'm in. By the way. It, memorializes that conversation. Oh, so that was one of the biggest moments in your entire life. hundred percent. Because when we sold that company, suddenly another venture capital firm came in and said, well, now we're interested in your insurance company. And I sold that company. And when you sell two companies into private equity and venture capital, suddenly the entire VC private equity corporate world thinks you're a genius. Five years ago, I was mowing the CEO's grass. Now I'm standing in a corporate boardroom explaining to him why his sales process doesn't work. And he's paying me a million dollars a year as a consultant. Wow. So if I hadn't sold that company, I would not have got that 
that credibility right. to be a sales and business management. I'm the same guy, but suddenly I'm a genius. Yeah, and that's kind that. of the way. That's the way where where the world works. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. One decision. And that's it. It can change your life. Mark Cuban says in a podcast I saw, he said, here's the deal. Take as many shots at business as you need. Just keep trying over and over and over because you only need one to work. And when you hit that one, your whole life changes. And that's what happened for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's incredible. So where, what did that do for you? Like when did, like when that all occurred? It was very soon after that. It's so funny because I'm I'm sitting in the office after the, the the sale and I get a call from an insurance carrier. And I remember this woman, her name was Laura. She called, she said, Brian, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just sitting here. She goes, listen, we got a call center up in Minneapolis that's losing about a million dollars a month. Will you come up and take a look at it for a couple of days and tell me what's wrong with it? And I remember thinking, okay. Uh, she goes, what will you charge me? I said, I have no idea. She goes, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a hundred thousand for the week. <clears throat> I said, you're going to give me a hundred thousand dollars to come up and tell you what's wrong with this thing. And she's like, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> I remember telling my wife, I said, we used to struggle to make a hundred thousand a year. And now people are sending me checks for a hundred thousand dollars just to tell them why they're, they're idiots. And so I went up and then I told them what was wrong with it. And they said, okay, can you fix it? And I said, sure. They paid another. me another $750,000 oh, over the course of the year. I only had to go up there four days a month. Oh my God. Because that's how credibility works. And sometimes, listen to me, anybody who's listened to this, get a mentor, get a coach, find somebody who's been there and done that, figure out how to get that credibility and people will throw money. Wow. That's interesting. That's a really interesting how that works. Cause yeah, I mean, you hear it sometimes, but you see these people success after success after success, but in reality, no, I've never heard it said like that, where it's separated as once you have the credibility, then people don't like, and you hear people with that, like, Oh, you get a CPA or you become a doctor or this or that you get some letters, but real business credibility. And then it's not like you have to do your next venture, but you can just consult and people Listen will pay Jordan, have you ever heard the phrase, the rich get richer and the poor get poor? Absolutely. That is a hundred percent true. And do you know why? Rich have credibility. They have a proper mindset. They know what they know how to execute. They know how to be successful. And that's why they get richer. Poor people have a failure filter. I call failure filter and success filter in my book. They have a failure filter. They don't know how to succeed and they will always fail unless they find somebody to help them. Okay. So you're saying that inherently, I mean, we can try to do it on our own, but in, in actuality, we're usually going to need to get pointed out and find that mentor that will basically take us to that next step that will guide us in that endeavor. Do you Jordan, think what, what's the difference between you and Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates? What's the difference between you and those guys? The experience they have. Do you both have arms and legs? Do you both get up in the yeah. morning? Do you both eat two meals a day, three meals a day? Yeah. The only difference between you and a billionaire is the way you think. Yeah. That is it. That's the only difference. And here's the thing. I had this conversation yesterday. You are who you are. And who you are has got you where you are. 
If you want to go someplace different, you aren't going to get there because you need to change who you are. And the fastest way to do that is to find somebody to come in and help you, tell you where you lack, tell you your deficiencies, tell you what you're doing wrong, and pull you up and help you become the person you need to be to get to the place you want to go. You are, who, you are who you are. And how did you target Steve? How did, how did that work out for you, for his guidance? Because I feel like people hear that sentiment and it's like, makes sense. I like it a lot. Do I join a mastermind? Do I hire a coach? Do I just do a business with somebody and hopefully they'll help me? Like, what, what do you think the best approach on this Here, is? I will tell you the biggest challenge I see right now and and it it makes me cringe when I see it. All these self-proclaimed business gurus, life coaches, business coaches. I went online yesterday. I can get a life coaching certificate for $149. <laughs> I can be a certified life coach for $149. I may have just gotten out of prison. I may be holding hostages in my basement right now. Yeah. I stole a car to get over here today. But for $149, I'm a certified life coach. Yeah. Right. You need to vet the people that you are taking advice from. Don't talk to your neighbors. Don't talk to your relatives. They've never succeeded in business. If somebody tells you they're a life or, or a, a business coach, my first question is how much money you got? Yeah. You got more than me? Because if yeah. you don't, how are you going to tell me how to get more successful? Yeah. Right. If you haven't built more than three businesses and sold them into private equity, how are you going to tell me how to do that? There's one right here in my hometown. She's a master coach. She works with the top 1%. No, she doesn't. She works with a guy down at Jiffy Lube. Okay. <laughs> Vet who you're talking to. Find out if they actually have the success. Now, here's the key. The more success they have, the more it's going to cost you. But you know, do you want to take advice from the guy working at Jiffy Lube or from the guy that just sold his company into private equity and he's you know worth $20 million? Who do you really want advice from? No. In those, I completely agree with that. And one thing I would add that I've heard uh, that I find really powerful as well is that when you're going through this process and looking for a mentor, there might be mentors for different areas of life. So, hundred percent, yeah. So, what I mean by that is like you might find a business mentor that you really align with. Now, most people want to go, okay, can you help me with my relationship advice? But they might have been divorced three times, but they sell in business. So then you would find a different person to be your relationship mentor. And like, you see this when you're growing up when all your friends are like, oh, what do you think you'd say to this girl? Or what, what would this be? And it, it's just never, never a good situation. You have to categorize people and where you think they're good at. Yeah. I also have a problem with people who become very successful and then think that everything they think is exactly right in every area of their life. Like I'm you a good to- businessman. Let me tell you how to fix your marriage and raise your kids. Like, dude, yeah. I don't. Let's talk about business, right? I, I know you're good at that. A hundred percent. Yeah. So if you're going to find someone and mastermind groups are great, you got to be careful not to get drugged down into the mud because a lot of mastermind groups are 95% wannabes and 5% of people who actually have something that they can contribute that yeah. will help you. Uh, and we talked, I think you and I, maybe somebody else had this conversation. If you want to sit at the table with the big boys, so there's a saying, right? It's you're the, you're the culmination of the five people you hang out with. That's who you are. So if you want to be better, you need to hang out with people who are more successful in whatever it is you're going after. The challenge with that is that if I'm moving up to the next highest table, 
I'm no, I'm now dragging them back down because they are the culmination of me. So why do the people at the next table want you at their table if you're not as successful as they are because you're nothing more than a drag on the mastermind at this point? Does that make sense? I don't think I explained that very well. No, I, I get what you're saying. You're basically, so say we have five people, four of them are tens, and then, or no, in the first table, four of them are fives, and then one person's a three. The three would drag them down. Right. Now, when that three person rises up and now they're a six, they're now leading that table of fives. Right. Now, and the six person wants to go to the 10 table, but now the 10 table is going to get drugged down by them. So, if you're going to hang out with people more than that are more successful than you, if you're going to hang out with people who are more successful than you because you want to be able to level up your life, you better bring something to the table that's worthwhile for them. Otherwise, they will boot you out in a heartbeat. I've, I've realized that a multitude of times because if you're not, and sometimes those tens will help you where they will provide you they'll basically see what you're doing and find the opportunity for you. But it's much better if you can present to them, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Are you interested? And even if you give up a piece just for guidance or whatever it is, it provides a lot of value. Absolutely. I didn't, I wasn't successful until I had a good business partner. Every business I had prior to that, it was on my own. Just, I mean, I never made a killing ever, <laughs> you know, even the million dollars I made. When I sold that first company, it's a million dollars. You know how much you get out of a million dollars once you pay taxes and pay your house and car off? You got about a hundred grand left. What are you well, going to do with I, that? I, I love the way you present it as you're so in your, in your zone where it's, you're paying your house off and you're paying the car off. If they're yeah. not paying, that's not. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise you're going to invest it in the stock market bubble crashes and everything you worked for is gone and you still owe money on your house and your car and you got to go back to McDonald's. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Yeah, no, that that's an interesting way. So when you when you go about real estate, like obviously you have your rental homes and then you have your own home. What is the what is the approach you have? Because obviously everyone's like, I want a big house. This is my dream house. Mm -hmm. I had that. What'd you say? I had a ten thousand square foot house. I had a beach house, a lake house, an airplane. Cars, motorcycles, boats, wave runners. I had everything. I went rich crazy. Because after that. Yeah, after we sold the big company. And I mean, and, and and people do that. It's just and then eventually the problem is, you know, the boat and the wave runners at the lake house, because you're only up there six weeks a year, the batteries are dead. So every time you go up there, you got to freaking change the batteries and the well stopped and there's a leak in the roof. And then your crap, you fix all that. Then you get under the beach and the car down there, the battery's dead, and the air conditioning went out. And you're at the house and you, you want to ride your motorcycle, but you haven't ridden it in six weeks and the batteries are dead. It gets stupid. The more crap you have, the more crap breaks, the more crap costs. And so I did like most people, I bought all the toys and then I simplified my life and brought it back down. Um, you probably have to go through that if you make a ton of money, but at some point you're going to realize that, you know, I call this the phases of money. There's the, I need to pay my bills phase. Then I start making money. I call it the accumulation phase where I start accumulating crap. Then after the accumulation phase, we start doing the security phase where it's like, oh, okay, I've got all this crap now, but I'm burning money. I probably need to secure my future. And so that's when you start you know, with these investment uh, things that I do where you're like, okay, I'm not spending this. I'm going to put that away. I can't touch that. That's your security phase. And eventually, 
the philanthropic phase, or what are you going to leave to your kids, or what is your legacy? So those are kind of my phases of money, and I'm back yeah. into the legacy phase at this point. That's so. awesome. I find that really interesting, and the the best thing is that no one realizes that you can do. Like when you have the money, you can rent out a lot of stuff. Like everything is rentable. Yep. <laughs> everything is rentable. Yep. I mean, I, I I drive a Tesla Plaid. I think it's the best car in the world. It's faster than my buddy's McLaren, which and it's a five seat family sedan. So that yeah. gives me a little bit of of happiness for yeah. one third the money. Um, yeah. But I lease it. I lease my my, my Tesla. Because in yeah. three years I get a new one. I don't. I don't want to have to deal with all the crap and the warranty running out and all that mess. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it's very interesting the money dynamics and where people go when they get to certain phases, as you said, because everything's constantly changing. Yep. So yep, yep. You're in the legacy phase now. What What does that look like to you? And what are you really focusing on? And what What are you building? Uh, to me, it's building passive income through the real estate stuff. It's building, you know, my company, my re- my restaurant company is is I don't I don't really run that at all. It kind of self manages itself. It's setting up my children's future, you know, and and you know, giving them money to buy their houses and setting up uh, trusts for them so that you know my children and grandchildren aren't ever going to have to suffer the way I did. Um, it, it, it's funny. My my daughter the other day, I was talking to her about something. And she said, "Daddy, why are you building another business?" And I said, well, honey, because at the end of the day, it's, it's for you and, and Michael, my, my son, Michael. She goes, you're not doing it for us. You're doing it for you. And I said, Steph, if I was doing it for me, I'd be spending the money. I'm not yeah. spending it. It's invested. Yeah. And when I die, it's yours. And she was like, oh, okay. Like she didn't get that. How old is she? She's 28. Okay. And my daughter is awesome, but she doesn't care about money, doesn't want money. Money has no interest to her whatsoever. She's so not my daughter. I don't know <laughs> whose daughter she is, but. <laughs> because it, it is interesting because that people will look at different individuals and be like, why do they have 10 homes? And it's because they only live in one of them and they rent out the other nine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, real estate, it's, it's more I learn, the more cool it is. Yeah. Uh, you know, I started listening and I follow my real estate is, I, you, you ever heard of Chris Crone? Yeah. So there's the Grant Cardone who is give me all your money and I'm going to buy apartments. And then there's Chris Crone who is, you know, only buy median level homes and below, which I kind oh, of course. follow his advice at that way. So everything I buy is 275,000 or, or less. So right in that range. Yeah. The only difference with him is he advocates borrowing money to do that. And I don't. So I pay cash yeah. for everything. Um, I think that kind of debt can get dangerous if you don't manage it properly. But so I'm kind of a hybrid of all these guys I listen to. You have to. And that, that's the other cool thing that we didn't even dive into. Um, the expert, quote unquote, or the mentor, quote unquote, is it's now the podcast. It's the people you listen to. You don't even yeah. have to be with them. Yes, it's very convenient when you could just hop on the phone and call them. But it also is very useful when you're just listening to them and hearing their different advice. Like Chris Crone had some advice that I ended up taking, which ended up getting me this condo. And I was like, fantastic. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Back in, back in, back in my day, you know, back when we used to walk uphill both ways in the snow to school, we would tell people, listen, your future, the five years from now, you are going to be a product of the people you hang out with, the books you read and the cassette tapes you listen to. That's yeah. how old I am. You probably never see the cassette tape. <laughs> no, I, 
And now it's the books you read, the people you hang out with, and the podcasts you listen to. Because this yeah. podcast is a new medium for you know communication to the world. This thing's awesome. Absolutely. And the best part is it never goes away. <laughs> it never goes away. Your content will be there forever. Absolutely. So Elon ships it off to Mars, and then we got to start over. <laughs> then we got the aliens listening. We got more subscribers. <laughs> yeah, if you get an alien calling going, hey, listen to your podcast. <laughs> I really like it. <laughs> Um, so I know we're winding down. Let's talk about the dropout multimillionaire. What is the book about? Where can people find it? How does it work? So the dropout multimillionaire was my second book. My first book was called, I give the dumb kids hope. And there's a whole story behind that, right? It was, I'm going to give you this real quick story. I know we're winding down, but you know, I've told you my background, abusive home, failed out of high school, struggled, no education, no clue. And yet here we are living in that big house I just told you about, 10,000 square feet, boats, cars, planes, beach, lake, everything. And my kids went to a private school. A private school used to push these kids for, for you know four hours of homework when you get home at night. Like crazy push them. It's all pre-college prep stuff. And my daughter used to be up late. like She'd be up to one or two o'clock in the morning doing homework every night. And I walked in the kitchen one night and we'd had this argument many times. Like, honey, go to bed. You need your rest. And this night she says, daddy, you're not supporting my educational goals. I have to get good grades to get into a good school so I can get a good education and get a good job. And I said, Steph, your education's not that important. She said, yes, it is. I said, then how do you explain me? And she looked at me for a second and she goes, you know, it's funny. We had a conversation about you in school the other day. I said, really? She goes, yeah, we decided you give the dumb kids hope. And that's the name of my book. That's it, the Dumb Kids Hope. So that book's about my life story, a little bit of business. And then the second book, uh, The Dropout Multimillionaire, which is 37 business lessons and how to succeed with no money, no education, and no clue, is really, it's more of a soft skills book, more of a mindset versus skill set thing, which I'm big on in business. And it's for people who are want to start a business. Yeah, I want to start a business. You need to read this book. I have yeah. a business. I'm struggling to get rolling. You need to read this book. I have a business that's rolling along, but I don't know how to grow it. I can't get my profit up. Hey, man, here's a statistic for you. Only 42% of businesses make money in any given year. Only 42%. Really? That's, a, that's a staggering statistic the IRS will tell you. Wow. Right? So if that's the case, that means there's 500, that's 400,000 new businesses start every month. In 2021, there were 4.8 million new businesses. 4.8 million and 60% are losing money. That's two and a half million people who invested their life, energy, savings, time, and they can't figure out how to make a profit. That's who this book is for. Read wow. the book. And I'm, it's not about how to run your business. Joe, the plumber knows how to be a plumber. I don't, but I can yeah. tell Joe how to run his business and make money. So that's what the book is about. That's what the podcast is about. You can go to brianwillmedia.com, www.brianwillmedia.com, the book, the podcast, everything's on there. It's on Amazon, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, all that good stuff. Awesome. Yeah, I'm going to throw it all in the show notes. Brian, I really appreciate the time. This has been super fun, Jordan. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast. For that, we'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards Consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in.